I'm sure I'm not the only one that's thinking, you know, how does earthquake fit into all of this? Not a climate risk peril, but, you know, when we talk about the coastal regions, earthquake is our high risks. Welcome back to part two of our mini-series on the riskiest and safest places to live in the U.S. for natural disasters and climate change. If you missed part one, I do recommend going back and catching up on last week's episode. To recap, we introduced our guest, Howard Botts, and talked about where climate change will have the greatest consequences in the U.S. and what that means for the future of certain regions. Let's jump into it. So coastal cities in particular, not ideal, not the best places to live from natural hazards, but the areas, as you mentioned, people flock to because they're nice. We both live in California because it's beautiful here, but they are exposed to wildfire here in California. And it is those coastal regions that do seem to be the most risky. Uh, On the opposite side of the coin, does it mean that the center of the country is then the safest place to live? Like I, I think of tornadoes and things that happen in the center of the country. So where, where's the best place to live? Well, if we just look purely at climate change and natural hazard risk, uh, not looking at culture, healthcare, <laughs> schools, uh, the least risky places would be in the uh, Intermountain West. Okay. Uh, you know, where you have cool, semi-arid climates, uh, often relatively high uh, altitude, low humidity, uh, zero exposure essentially to hurricanes, mm-hmm. a little bit of exposure to wildfire or inland flooding, and, and some severe convective storm, okay. hail, winds. But uh, over time, we think those risks are going to me- remain low. Okay. And so uh, if we kind of pick a few counties, and again, it can vary significantly uh, across a county in terms of risk, but uh, what we found in our analysis is McKinley County, New Mexico, oh. which is the county just to the west of Santa Fe and Albu- Albuquerque. Okay. Uh, major city is uh, Gallup on, on Route 66, so hmm. 6,400 feet in elevation, so kind of that high altitude that I was talking about. Right. Others, uh, places like Duchesne County, Utah, up in the northwest corner of Utah. Uh, Caneos County, Colorado, right on the border with New Mexico. And then uh, my favorite, uh, Summit County, Colorado, home to Breckenridge, uh, Mm. cool summers, abundant Mm -hmm. snowfalls. So uh, uh, water and uh, uh, temperature would never be an issue. Right. Wow. Um, So that's interesting. You know, quite recently on this podcast, we just had Molly Basil. We talked about home price growth, home price insights, and specifically about that area, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, New Mexico. It is an area that our country that has experienced kind of the most moderate home price growth, according to the CoreLogic Home Price Index. So I guess it's safe to say that it's an area that's probably, you know, appealing to in terms of affordability of housing compared to many of the coastal regions, which are very expensive. And we're seeing still some quite strong increases in home price growth as well. Um, But, you know, going back to what you mentioned when you talked about Las Vegas and some of those desert regions before, is drought an issue for these areas of New Mexico, um, you know, specifically with climate change? Are we worried about drought to now make these potentially safest places get to the least safe places as time goes on? Well, if we look at Santa Fe and Albuquerque, you just mentioned, uh, you know, both of those cities are on the upper Rio Grande River. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we anticipate uh, that we won't see uh, 
you know, a, a market decrease in the amount of water in those. So since okay. at the upper end of the river, they're probably safe, uh, kind of plentiful groundwater uh, in those areas. Uh, some of the other counties I mentioned, uh, you know, I think if you did get massive growth, you could uh, quickly drain the aquifers in those areas. Mm, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, my guess would be, May Claire, we're going to see people moving to areas of, of moderate uh, uh, climatic risk. You know, if we think about California, the area around uh, San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, I think most of the coastal areas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, will have because the Alaskan current comes down the Pacific, uh, it will remain relatively cool. So uh, you won't have as much heat as an issue. I think on the east, uh, you know, we're seeing places like Asheville, North Carolina, other places in the uh, kind of Appalachian foothills, uh, you know, kind of the the sweet spot uh, between some risk, but uh, a lot of environmental amenities. So people that like mountains, like oceans, uh, like foothills, uh, there's still plenty of places that are lower risk, but not the lowest risk uh, that would be, uh, you know, ideal places perhaps to relocate. Okay, so I want to now specifically look at climate change. And when we look at some of these places that you've just talked about, and we put into consideration climate change, you know, some of the stuff that has come out of the different scenario planning from the IPCC, what do we think is going to happen as the climate changes if we go out, you know, even 10 years, but you know, more like 50 years, even if we go beyond that, like, what, what are we looking at? What's going to happen? Well, I, you know, when we talk about it, we often talk about large relocations of people, mm-hmm. essentially. But, you know, it's really a story of sort of macro and micro. Uh, you know, uh, there's going to be substantial impacts on obviously certain areas of the cities. Uh, say New York City, a number of studies have been done showing that uh, you're going to have a substantial migration from potentially one part of the city to another. Sure. You can think about low-lying areas yeah. up to, uh, you know, Washington Heights, where you're high above the yeah. river uh, and others. So I think, you know, in California, we're going to see retreat away from the coastline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sea level rises. Uh, a lot of our cliffside homes are starting to fall into the ocean. Uh, railroad tracks uh, and uh, other, uh, you know, infrastructure. So, uh, you know, what are we going to see? I think it's going to be obviously a slow change. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see uh, an increased desire to how do we mitigate against uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the changes we're seeing. Uh, so if you think about coastal areas, uh, um, you know, they're talking about New York City building a uh, something like they have in Venice, oh, a, wow. a surge structure uh, to prevent uh, high sea levels from inundating areas or talking about building seawalls, other kinds okay. of things around Miami to protect the, uh, the, the barrier island like Miami yeah. Beach. Uh, so uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of infrastructural changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, the two big themes are going to be mitigation and uh, resiliency, mm-hmm. which sort of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So I suspect what we're going to see over the next decade Increased uh, uh, intense rainfall events, okay. so flash flooding in particular, uh, uh, well outside the hundred-year flood yeah. zone. Uh, we're going to see increased wildfire intensity, 
know, people say, well, this year in California, it's so wet. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't have a high wildfire season, forgetting that wet uh, allows a lot of vegetation to grow, which then when it dries up. We got a lot of fuel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think, you know, it's going to be a, a, a slow change and allow us time, I think, to uh, kind of build up our defenses. Yeah. But I think, you know, one of the things that we often discount is heat. And that will oh, continue yeah. to be a, 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 an issue in, in summer, uh, impacting a lot of places. So as we see sea level rising, you know, uh, maybe a foot to 20 inches uh, over the, you know, the course of the century, we'll certainly see uh, people having to uh, uh, relocate to different areas. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so I think, uh, you know, Lots of things, and obviously hurricanes, storm surge, others being uh, events we're going to have to keep our eye mm -hmm. on and make sure that uh, we mitigate. So there are some things we can harden our homes against hail, uh, mitigate against wildfire risk to some degree. But when it comes to flooding, uh, probably uh, whether it's saltwater right. from hurricane-driven storm surge or river or flash flooding, those are a lot harder for individuals to do much other than perhaps elevation. Sure, so yeah. we'll be looking to federal uh, infrastructure projects probably. While the Mountain West is generally safe from hurricanes, hurricane season is blowing in on the coast of the U.S. However, this year, hurricane season is coinciding with the potential appearance of El Nino climate patterns. While this could mean a milder Atlantic hurricane season, CoreLogic's 2023 hurricane risk report identified significant risk for millions of homes that risk is concentrated in Florida, where the insurance and reinsurance carriers are already stressed. Not to mention that Florida markets are among the most popular in the nation for inbound migration, which means more homeowners will need insurance in the area. Find out how many homes are at risk, where they are, and what their reconstruction value is by going to CoreLogic.com on June 1st and downloading the 2023 Hurricane Risk Report. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast that I'm in the process of trying to buy a new home. And this, this is what's top of my mind as I'm looking in new areas to buy this new home. And my real estate agent sent us one house and she's like, oh, what about this one? It's beautiful. And I'm like, uh, do you know what I do for a living? No, like the wildfire risk is so high in that area. She's like, oh, yeah, you'd need wildfire insurance here. And I'm like, no, I'm not buying this house because <laughs> I need wildfire insurance here. Like if the house is going to burn down, I don't want it. If the house is going to flood, like there's another one. I'm like, there's a river across the street. She's like, yeah, it's lovely. I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to flood. So I think, you know, more people may be having this perspective of things. Like it's the awareness that goes along with climate change. It's the awareness that goes wrong around with hazards. Like I think even of like New Orleans and how it was devastated during Hurricane Katrina, but that's what caused them to put these mitigative measures in place with their seawalls and their barriers. And that's now protecting them from future hurricane, severe storm surge damage like they had in Hurricane Katrina. So to see other areas of the country kind of learn from that and just see what's happening with climate change and really focus on mitigation is really a, a fantastic step forward, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, interestingly, I think we've seen a generational mm. shift, like you're talking mm. about, uh, McClare, from perhaps uh, I'm part of the baby boomer generation where, you know, we just pick things based on uh, amenities. Oh, that's a beautiful creek across <laughs> the street or something else. And I think real estate agents, uh, 
uh, typically didn't want to know anything about natural hazard risk because they'd have to disclose it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think what we found is, particularly among millennial home buyers and others, they really want to understand what are all the risks that, that yeah. are here. I think much more tuned in uh, to that. And so we're finding at CoreLogic that uh, we're now embedding a lot of our hazard uh, products, natural hazard risk, whether it be wildfire or flood or other things, into the products we're serving up to real estate agents so they can become you know, uh, uh, consultants essentially to help people understand what is the potential risk at a particular site. Uh, I guess sellers maybe don't want the, uh, the, the buyer to know all the hazards, but certainly as a sure. buyer, that's something yeah. you're really interested in. Really interested in, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I know the purpose of this podcast really was, you know, climate change analytics, looking at climate change risk. Uh, but we're talking about some of the, you know, best and worst, you know, most desirable, least desirable places to live in the U.S. Uh, because of natural hazards. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's thinking, you know, how does earthquake fit into all of this? Not a climate risk peril, but you know, when we talk about the coastal regions, earthquake is our high risk. So can we talk just a little bit about how how does the earthquake skew the data? Sure, be happy to. Uh, uh, but before I do that, uh, I'd be remiss to say that uh, there isn't a climate change uh, relationship to earthquakes. Ah. Uh, the two, uh, may Claire, would be one would be tsunami. Yeah. So as, uh, you know, sea level rises, we're going to have more uh, you know, tsunami impact areas and all the Western states are mm-hmm. revi- and Hawaii are revising their tsunami inundation maps. Yeah. And uh, certainly we know uh, uh, the Cascadia fault off of Washington and Oregon uh, could push as high as a hundred foot high tsunami. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that would be very impactful. Extending from British Columbia and Canada to Northern California, the Cascadia Subduction Zone Fault has the potential to generate a whopping magnitude 9.0 earthquake followed by a 100-foot-high tsunami. While not as well known as the San Andreas Fault, which runs the length of California, this subduction zone in the Pacific Northwest is coiled like a spring. In fact, according to the state government of Oregon, the last earthquake on this fault shook at a magnitude 9.0, but that happened hundreds of years ago in 1700. It was so big that it caused a tsunami all the way over in Japan. Should the fault line rupture again, this will likely lead to tens of billions of dollars in damages. For comparison, the 1994 Northridge earthquake struck Southern California at a magnitude of 6.7 and caused $15 billion of economic damage at the time. Adjusted for 2023 dollars using the Bureau of Labor Statistics inflation calculator, that figure would be about $31 billion. In 2011, Tohoku, Japan was struck by a magnitude 9.0 earthquake and tsunami that caused economic damages approaching $200 billion at the time. Adjusted for 2023 dollars using the Bureau of Labor Statistics inflation calculator, that figure would be $415 billion. Uh, and the other thing that we worry about is fire following earthquakes. Yeah. Uh, you know, as uh, you know, we get natural gas uh, lines ruptured. If you have high winds at the same time, you may remember a year ago, January in Boulder County, we had over a thousand homes burn right. uh, in the middle of winter and uh, a high wind event. Once a fire started uh, closer to you in Santa Rosa, the, Tubbs fire burned over 5,600 homes and high wind events. So, you know, there, 
there are some related hazards uh, uh, to earthquake. That said, you're, you're right. I think uh, earthquake risk certainly is something we can't get away from in California mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in particular and across the West Coast in general. You know, uh, uh, where I live in Southern California, it, we have routinely small quakes that we can feel, but, uh, you know, everybody's anticipating uh, what happens when the San Andreas Fault, uh, yeah. you know, the world's most active fault zone goes, uh, you know, what the impact will be for that. And up in the Bay Area, the Hayward Fault, faults running behind Salt Lake City and others, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all expect, based on historical record, that during our lifetime, we could see uh, major uh, earthquake events. So certainly the key uh, for all of us, uh, as I talked right about at the beginning, our models have structural vulnerability built into them, is to make sure that your, your homes are uh, uh, made more earthquake-proof by uh, mitigating against uh, all the things uh, that we can do. So we love our mountains, uh, <laughs> something that's pushing those mountains upward, uh, and that's the potential of earthquakes. So it's a low frequency, but high severity event. So definitely, most of us will take that over uh, hurricanes or damaging hail uh, anytime. Yeah, a lot of people take the risk until it actually happens and realize how impactful it can be. So uh, yeah, we know that this is one that I'm very passionate about myself. So Howard, I loved how that was actually more connected to climate change than we were thinking it was going to be. So yeah, thank you for your perspective today. And always, it's always great to chat with you, Howard. Thank you for once again joining me and being a guest here on Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast. Well, thank you for the invitation, May Claire. Always a pleasure. Well, we will definitely have you back again. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our facts guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. Core Conversations.